3: Fox Sports, Big Ten Network, Atlanta Braves, voice of the Madden video game. Good Lord, Brandon, when do you have time to eat and sleep over here with all these jobs?
2: He's so busy counting his money, he can't. Uh, you know, he doesn't have that opportunity to sleep very often.
3: Now you know the old saying: when you have
1: two or three quarterbacks, you have none. Maybe when you have two or three or four jobs, you have none. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure it all out right now.
3: I like it, man. Well, you were there for the uh, Butler game. You were on the call. What do you think about Shaka Smart, Marquette? They pick up another win. What were your impressions of the game last night? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, they just dominated
1: Butler. It's tough to say that as a Butler alum. It's been a tough year for the dogs. But Marquette, they came out of nowhere. They were picked ninth in the preseason poll in the Big East, and no one really thought that they would do much this year. So, to not only win the Big East, but to have some of the wins on their resume that they do, and right now tracking to be a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament, you know, I think when Shaka Smart came on the scene in 2011 with that Final Four of VCU, people thought that the style that he played and the havoc, it might not be able to be sustained at a higher level. And he's tweaked it. He's grown up as a coach over the last 11 years, he's doing some different things, even though he does pressure but I I think he's a fantastic coach and this year is exhibit A of that they're just they're a great basketball team and he's a the leader of that, no doubt.
2: Well, and when you shoot 56% from the floor, I think what even better in the second half What they shoot like 65% I think from the floor in the second half did Marquette. Uh, five of seven from three-point range. I mean, if you're Butler, that's pretty tough to defend. When when Marquette's got it going the way they had it going last night uh, and you're an undermanned team to begin with, that's a pretty stiff challenge.
1: Yeah, I think what Marquette, for people that haven't seen them, if you're filling out your bracket, what makes them such a tough matchup is, first of all, they're just very smart, but they, they do a lot of backdoor cutting, and they're about as good as any team at cutting on the baseline, as I've seen, and just finding ways to get open. And then they have a guy named Tyler Kolak, who's second in the nation in assists. And he just kind of sits around the top of the arc or the elbow, and he just throws little pocket bounce passes to these cutters. And for whatever reason, teams have not been able to figure it out this year. And Butler couldn't figure it out last night. And Marquette seemed like they got everything at the rim at will. And it was a pretty impressive display of basketball.
3: You know, we gotta add something else here, Vince. Westwood one. Brandon's doing Westwood One <laughs> stuff for the tournament. So we gotta ask about that, Brandon. Um, you know, when you look forward to the NCAA tournament, do you see a team that has a bigger range between really good and really bad play than you see with IU? No, no, I do not. <laughs> uh, and,
1: that, and the last two games are just uh, obviously the top example of that. I mean, you go into Purdue and play so well and able to get the win there. And then last night, just fall on your face. Now, look, Iowa's was good. And I, I don't think people appreciate Iowa that much. And they always kind of get taken for granted because they never go anywhere in the tournament. They're a good team. But there was no reason that Indiana, if they would have lost by two or three, okay, But to just be manhandled the entire game was a real surprise to me. I I still contend that Indiana can make a run in the tournament. I know that people shake their head at that because of how inconsistent they've been and how you need to be consistent at March, and I get that. But I I still think that when they're clicking, they are so darn good and so darn tough to defend. And if they could just put that together for a few games in a row – I think they can make a run, but it is, it is tough to bet on them. And I understand why, because we've all seen both sides of this Indiana team. And when you see the side that you saw last night, it just kind of leaves you scratching your head.
2: How about uh, the teams, Brandon, of all the teams that you've seen that you've been the most impressed with?
1: I'll give you one. Well, I mean, I think team-wise it's Purdue of all the teams that I've seen. When when Purdue is going and when Edie is out there doing what he does and those guards are able to knock down shots, I think Purdue is as good as anybody in the country. I think, I think that their ceiling is that high. So of the teams I've seen, I'd say that when, when they're on, they're the most impressive even though they've obviously hit the skids a little bit here the last couple of weeks. I'll give you a team that I've seen a lot that is starting to climb back into the national conversation, and that's UConn. You know, UConn was a team that everybody was hot on. They climbed early, and then they started to fumble things a little bit in January, and they fell out of the national picture. But now they're starting to figure things out again. And when we talk about complete teams, that's what you're looking at in March, and Connecticut has that. They've got a very good center in Adama They've got very good pieces around him. They just kind of have everything that you're looking for. So continue to watch out for UConn. I'll be curious to see what they do in the Big East tournament. But even if they would have an early exit at Madison Square Garden, I still think it's a team that can make a run, a deep run here in the NCAA tournament.
3: He's Brandon Godden joining us here on the fan. You know, Brandon, You always talk about Cinderella this time of year. Like, who's the no-name team that's going to come from nowhere and do something significant? I like to swing the other way. Who's the anti-Cinderella? Who's one of the top teams that's just going to fall flat, stunner city, maybe a one-and-done? Do you see anybody maybe falling on its face? I think I've watched Alabama but I have not
1: seen them in person. I've seen about four or five of their games on television. And here's what I'll say about Alabama. They're as talented as any team in the country. There's just no question about it. They have they have so much on offense and they're good on the defensive end as well. What you worry about is the obvious, right? There's so much national attention and a lot of scrutiny around that program right now that you wonder if that starts to wear on them and impact them when the NCAA tournament uh, scene is set. Because, yeah, they're receiving a lot of that attention now, but I think it's going to ratchet up even more. It's going to dominate the storylines. There, people are going to be asking them about that rather than the games that they're going to be playing. And I just wonder if that doesn't start to impact those guys and they go out and maybe just lay an egg. And I'm not saying it's going to be in the opening round when they're facing a far inferior 16 seed, but maybe in that next game against a good eight or nine seed, they get bounced surprisingly. Again, I'm not predicting that. I just think it's a lot to ask of, of, of a team that, obviously it's had a lot of negative attention on them recently and so look it's it's mainly on one player and we all get that but all of those guys are having to deal with whatever is swirling around in that locker room And I just wonder if that won't be too much on
2: them. And I wouldn't be surprised at that. I think that's a great point. And and I know a lot of controversy surrounding the Alabama program. Joe Linardi's bracketology just came out for this week, and Alabama is the number one seed, even of the four number ones. Purdue, by the way, was the fourth number one seed, with Kansas and Houston two and three. How about the first four out? He's got North Carolina listed, Michigan listed as a first four out as well. A couple of pretty big blue bloods there missing the NCAA tournament. That would be quite uh, quite the storyline for those programs.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious to see Michigan. You know, tomorrow they're at Illinois, and that's obvious. Every game at this juncture for any team on the bubble, we all say it's big. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's gigantic. But they'll be on the right side of the bubble with the win tomorrow. That certainly wouldn't guarantee them a trip to the dance. But Michigan is another. We talked about Indiana being a Jekyll and Hyde team. And Michigan's another one of those teams because I I think when they get Jet Howard, Juwan's son, fully healthy, he's been dealing with an injury and he's missed a couple of games. When they get him back out there, they're a totally different ball club. And if they can get him healthy, I I think last I saw he was questionable for tomorrow, but if he can return, if they can win a couple games in the Big Ten tournament, I mean, look, we saw what they did last year. They limped into the NCAA tournament as an 11 seed, played there in Indianapolis, and won a couple of games that got to the Sweet 16. And I think as long as they've got Hunter Dickinson, their big fella in the middle, and as long as they've got a healthy Jet Howard, I think they're a team that can win a couple of games in March again. So if they get into the dance, that's another team I would say, if you see them as a 10, 11, 12 seed, don't discount them because they have loads of talent.
3: Hey, Brandon, now that you're the uh, Braves TV guy, I got to get your, your – uh opinion on the brave spring training i didn't know i'd go down this road but the pitch clock violation so i know this is spring training baseball but the new rules it's a big deal so it's six to six the other day against the red Sox. bottom of the ninth full count the batter isn't ready on time cal conley they punch him out they say strike three ball game's over it's a tie what do you think about the new rules
1: Well, just in general, I like the new rules. Nobody wants to see a game end like that. I didn't enjoy watching that. But I I was at the MLB meetings a couple of weeks ago, and they talked about these rules, obviously, ad nauseum, and said that these umpires are being told it does not matter if it is going to decide a game. You are to enforce these rules as they are written because they really, really, really want to speed the game up last year at the minor league level with these rules games were 24 minutes faster i don't think it'll be that significant at the major league level just because it is major league baseball but if you can shave 15 to 17 minutes off that's pretty significant and that's that's the direction that they want to start to trend towards i don't think we'll see a ton of these end of game violations in fact very few if any once the regular season starts but it's just a it's a good lesson for all of these players, the pitchers, the batters, the catchers as they're going into this into this toward the end of the spring training into the regular season to understand that these umpires are not messing around and there are no exceptions and it's going to be interesting to watch it unfold.
2: Brandon, before we let you go, let's bring it back full circle to the game last night. I know you're a Butler guy and calling the Butler-Marquette game last night. It's been a tough season for Thad Mata in his first year. Lots of injuries, lots of issues. Uh, Where does Butler need to to go in relation to moving their program forward as we look down the road?
1: Yeah, basically it needs to be a rebuild, and I hate to say that, but... Uh, You hope that some of these pieces come back, like Manny Bates, Ali Ali, they they have more eligibility left. But in this era in college basketball, you just don't know who's going to be with you next season because of the NIL and because of the ability to transfer. So Thad Mata and his staff, and look, I I don't, they didn't say this to me, but they they know they're going to have to go out and get a couple of key transfers to try to make next year a little better. I think now that Thad is kind of back in the game, and understanding now how this new world of recruiting is operating because it's much different than when he left Ohio State a handful of years ago. I think now that he's got his feet underneath him and his staff knows what they need to do, they're going to be hitting the pavement hard if they haven't already to try to identify guys that are going to fit into their system. But but look, let's just call it what it is. I think the staff would agree by By all accounts, this has been a frustrating year and not what anybody expected. And hopefully next year, things will get a lot better.
2: You know, I got to tell you, it's exactly what I expected. Uh, I expected it to be a huge struggle. You know, you can be a great coach, but, and and you've seen it, uh, Brandon, players win games. I mean, if you don't have players in the Big East... You're not going to compete, and you're not going to win. And on a ta- from a talent perspective, uh, and granted, they've had some injuries, uh, but Butler is below the norm, below average in the level of talent um, as what you see in other schools around the Big East that are playing at the top level. I think we saw it last night with Marquette. You can coach them, but man, you better have the horses, or you're not going to have that kind of success.
1: No, you're right. I, I, there is a gap. There's a clear gap that needs to be closed. I think what surprised me though is I, the number of losses hasn't shocked me. I think it's the way that they've yeah, lost some of I these games. I think their average margin of defeat in Biggie's play is around 18 or 19 points, and, and that, that's that's surprising. Again, the, the talent gap. You, you saw. Okay, they might not getting to the NCAA tournament. But the way that some of these losses have transpired, that's the thing that has been kind of hard to swallow.
3: Hey, Brandon, you're the man. Appreciate the time today, man. We'll catch you down the road. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day. You too. There he is, Brandon Godden. Pacer fans
2: enjoying things a little bit uh, better today after another strong performance on the road last night. We'll bring in Jeremiah Johnson from Valley Sports, Indiana, sideline reporter for the Indiana Pacers telecasts, And Indiana has now won back-to-back games on the road. Winners of three of the last four and going to San Antonio for the game tomorrow night where the Spurs had recently had a 16-game losing streak. Just snapped that by beating Utah last night. But seems to be, Jeremiah, a gettable game for Indiana again tomorrow night.
4: It is a gettable game, and it's been a better road trip than I think anyone could have anticipated, as you mentioned. It had been two months without winning a road game, and now they've won their last two. And Orlando was one maybe you thought they could get. I don't think that very many people expected dallas a team that blew a 26 point lead to the lakers on sunday and you figure they would be agitated and they're fighting for positioning in the western conference i don't think many gave the pacers a chance and it was an important game for a lot of pacers with dallas roots and and those guys played well the coaches coached well and the pacers got a two-point win
2: yeah take us back to that uh, the dallas roots storyline because uh, a lot of folks that are listening may not be quite as familiar
4: yeah, so Miles Turner, obviously born and raised in the Dallas area. This is always an important game for him. But think about the coaching staff. Rick Carlisle won an NBA championship in Dallas, and there's only one trip a year to Dallas. And so this was that one game. The media room for his pregame interview session was as crowded as any have been all season long, and and his daughter Abby is still a senior in the Dallas area. So it was nice to have an extended stay. The Pacers were actually in Dallas for three days, and you add in, the assistant coaches that he had in Dallas that are with the Pacers and Mike Weiner and Jenny Busick, and then maybe we weren't as familiar with Buddy Heal. We think of him as uh, the player from the Bahamas, but he has a house in Dallas as well, and he actually invited the team, as we documented during the broadcast, to his gym at his house. Yeah, how about that? Uh, give us,
2: yeah, give us the breakdown on you know the the nice indoor gymnasium. I mean, this wasn't just like the the basket stuffed over in the corner. I mean, this was a blown out gym, right?
4: Uh, exactly. I mean, I don't know that it's full NBA regulation, but I think you could probably play a high school game there, and it's a little tough uh, on the edges by the out-of-bounds lines. You're, you're a step away from the nice artificial grass that he has in his yard, but it was bu- immaculate inside. I mean, you had the pictures from all of his accolades and accomplishments during his basketball career. There was probably a, a 90-foot television monitor on the wall and then brand-new weight equip- equipment all around, and it was just a great vibe and a great atmosphere. And you think about 41 road games, 82 games in a regular season, you're into March with only 20 remaining. Things can get maybe a little monotonous. And things like this, I think Rick Carlisle and his staff have done a really good job. I think it was their idea. They brought it up with Buddy, and he was he was welcoming by all means, and he had his family there as well. So just to mix things up a little bit, it was a surprise to the players. No one knew on the way to shoot around that the bus was not going to the American Airlines Center, but when I got on the interstate, I think people started to wonder what what's going on here. Where where are they taking? <laughs> where are we it? going? <laughs> it ended up being a productive shoot around and it led to a really entertaining and
3: successful game. I saw Mike Conley Jr.'s gym one time. I think it was actually it was during the pandemic. Remember how they did the horse competition remotely? Oh, right. Yeah, and yep. Conley's hitting all these shots in his home gym. Whose home gym was better there, Jeremiah? Is it Conley Jr. or was it Buddy Healds?
4: I don't remember all the details, but fresh in my mind, it would be hard to chop uh, Buddy Heald, and it was fun afterwards. Uh, Tyree Halliburton said to Buddy, he said, you know what, you, you better never complain about anything the rest of your life. You've got it good. And I, I did think when I was in there, you, you think about Buddy Heald, he wasn't highly recruited from the Bahamas. He almost had to sell himself to a junior college program to get that opportunity and where he's at right now. And it's, you can't say to every, you know, 10 year old player work this hard and this is what you can be, but you can tell people, even if you're not highly recruited, if you work really hard, sometimes things like that are possible. And buddy has put in the work and he told me after uh, the shoot around yesterday that he gets in trouble in the summer months because the house is right next to the gym and there's a pool in between, but he doesn't spend as much time in his house. He's just always, shooting baskets in the gym and having other NBA players over to work out so he's got to have that balance but he's all basketball all the time
3: you know this isn't a diss it's gonna sound like it but it's really not meant this way with the Pacers because they haven't been road warriors and Dallas has a lot of talent so based on how the game was playing out were there stages where you said oh man the Pacers are screwed right now did that thought go through your head at all last night Jeremiah?
4: Well, in that two-month, uh, 11-game losing streak on the road, you definitely felt that. But once you won that game on Saturday, and I do think that game after the All-Star break, even though they lost to the Celtics, it was a positive sign. Um, I maybe felt that way a little bit in the third quarter. The Pacers had a 10-point lead at halftime, and midway through the third, they were down by four. But one of the things that, that Tyree Halliburton, I think, has led the way and been so good is that when teams go on run, he runs, he's been able to counter and answer those. And so Dallas went on, I think, a 10-0 run. They took a four-point lead, and you snap your finger, and there were a couple of hustle plays on the defensive end that led to fast break opportunities. And all of a sudden, the Pacers scored 10 straight points. So it was back and forth a little bit. I know it wasn't a perfect game down the stretch, the final six minutes. I don't think the Pacers had a made field goal. They had a couple of free throws. They missed a couple of free throws late. And they were able to get one last stop and, and they were able to do not, just enough late third and early fourth quarter to then win that game and hold off the Mavericks. So you did think that at times. And when when Luka hit some shots and the crowd's going crazy and Luca's uh, walking to the free throw line a few times, uh, you can think, ah, this may not be the Pacers night especially when Andrew Nemhard missed those free throws. But one last stop, and they gave the ball to Kyrie Irving, which was a little surprising to me, and the Pacers escaped with a win.
2: You mentioned Tyrese Halliburton. He had 32 points last night for the Pacers, along with six assists. But what impressed me most about his stat line, zero turnovers in 34 minutes, especially (laughs) as much as he handles the ball to have zero turnovers in the NBA in a 34-minute performance. uh, Man, that's impressive.
4: Yeah. And he's not playing cautious basketball. I mean, if anything, you would give him the benefit of the doubt if he had four or five assi- uh, turnovers because of the assists and the opportunities he creates for his teammates. And that's one of the things that early on, there were a couple of games like this where you really realize just how special he is. There are so many good guards in the NBA right now. mean, I feel like it's, it's a guards league. And every night you're looking at some difficult matchups, but there are not too many that can put together a night with 32 points after six assists and have zero turnovers. And that's just, it's remarkable. And it puts the Pacers in a really good position moving forward because they know he's going to find his teammates. If the situation calls for it, he's going to score. I mean, I don't remember any Tyrese Halliburton games with 15 free throw attempts. So that was another promising development. He's never going to be a guy that's going to be getting to the free throw line with regularity, but maybe just... Starting to get a little more respect from some of the officials is a real positive. So uh, you don't want to take Tyrese Halliburton for granted, but I'm glad you pointed out that that zero turnover number.
3: Uh, What word would you use, Jeremiah, to describe last night's Pacers game? I went with psychotic. It was just a wild game. Uh, Vince went with relief is how he described it. How would you describe it?
4: Uh, It was a little sluggish early. Referee dominated in terms of the fouls. Uh, So – one word is going to be difficult because I did feel like it was kind of two different games. Um, whiny might be the word coming out of it. <laughs> you know, where I sit, I can get a little frustrated sometimes with the antics of, of the opposition. And when you don't watch every Mavericks game, but then you do see Luka Doncic for the first time and he continues to just complain every time he misses a shot, mm. it's it's got to be someone else's fault. And I know that, Some of it's gamesmanship, and you're trying to get the calls. But I think he takes it to another level. And it has to be frustrating for the officials to just have to constantly deal with that. Not saying that the Pacers are um, not without guilt in this. There are times I feel like they complain a little too much. But I think he takes it to another level. So
2: I'm going to say whiny from the birthday boy, Luke Yeah, And you see all the teams, all the players. Who is the whiniest player in the league?
4: He's on the short list. Actually, (laughs) a couple of us were having a discussion about this uh, on the bus or actually on the airplane before we took off yesterday. And I believe on your same radio airwaves, it was a discussion that that Mark Boyle had with Pat Boylan. So they kind of laid the groundwork for this one. So it is fresh in my mind. And uh, they put Luca near the top. I said that Kyle Lowry is near the top of my list. He's always been someone that I've kind of – have wanted to kind of gouge my eyes out a little bit at times when watching him because it was frustrating and him trying to sell the calls and for hmm. as, as great as LeBron is oh, I think he whines a little bit awful. too much as
2: well yeah. so. uh, good showing last night Miles Turner 10 of 13 from the floor 24 points uh, but I was really impressed with a couple of guys off the bench and uh, Jalen Smith, who evidently has been released from the Witness Protection Program, and uh, Jordan uh, Jordan Wara, who had 16, Jalen Smith, 11 points and 9 rebounds. And it was just good to see those minutes from those guys.
4: Yeah, you can make a case The last two wins. You give them, maybe not player of the game's honors. Actually, I interviewed Jordan Wara after the win against the Magic, but the Pacers don't win without them. And Wara with the 16 and, and Jalen Smith with the 11. And I think the Pacers need what Jalen Smith provides. He's still young. He's still figuring it out with consistent minutes. So if you watch Jalen Smith, maybe there's a time he fumbles a ball that's passed to him or doesn't quite corral the rebound. But he's never going to be lacking in effort. He brings a little bit of physicality that you need when there are times this team struggles to get that critical defensive rebound. And I think that the Pacers they want to win every game they can, obviously. And they're maybe creeping back into the play in picture. But it's really important over these final twenty games to get a good chance to see exactly what you have with Jalen Smith as you're building the roster and And looking at the offseason, is he the player kind of you want to maybe build around as as a backup center or someone that you can put in your rotation moving forward? So I'm glad to see Jalen Smith get the opportunity. It's been, I'm sure, a struggle for he and Isaiah Jackson because this team had so many centers and they were – kind of leaning towards uh, one center and in uh, you know, a smallish player lineup, not going with the two bigs. And so that's limited their opportunities. I still think you're going to see over these final 19 games, you're going to see Isaiah Jackson get an opportunity because he does things a little bit differently than Jalen Smith. But the one thing I did bring up with Jalen a couple of days ago, is he had five blocks, I think against the magic, maybe six. And when you think of miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith on a blocks per minute, uh, number, they're. I think they're all at least in the top ten, or they all have that capability, and so they do have a nice rotation of bigs that can run the floor and can block shots, and they're all relatively young. Say what you want about Miles Turner, I know eighth NBA season, he's still young, he's still in his prime. And so they've got a good foundation in the front court.
3: He's Jeremiah Johnson, sideline reporter for Bally Sports Indiana here on The Fan. You know, Jeremiah, I want the Pacers to lose every game. <laughs> I, and I, I'm just being honest because I think that draft-wise puts them in the best potential spot to have a brighter future. So I'm thinking more long run here. But the question is, when you're with the team, day in and day out and you see the work they put in and you see the grind and the professionalism and all of that and you hear the tanking conversation or the losing conversation where someone's thinking about the long run what do you make of that whole thing
4: well the good thing is i think when the season started i was a little worried that the conversation would have been a little louder than it has been i understand the feeling of you and some fans when you see what happened in in january and early february and you think, okay, well, this was a fun season. Now let's focus on things um, that really matter. But that's nothing that a player can be concerned about. I mean, you're at the NFL Combine, or you guys are talking a lot about that this week. A player that's currently on a roster, the way they view the draft is someone that might come in and try to take their opportunity. So when they're going to play, that's the last thing they're concerned about. Now, obviously, once the season is over, you've got young players that are going to be here for a while, and they're looking at – making this team as good as it can possibly get. And the draft is a big part of that. But um, I will say it's not been that loud of a conversation. And I am interested to see the rest of this road trip and maybe into next week. Because coming out of the All-Star break, you had four out of five on the road. And then I think you've, you've got that home game against Philly. Then you're at, uh, you play Houston. And what I said was, of the first 10 out of the break, there was an opportunity to make one last push. And if you're not able to do that, Reality probably would set in, and even the most you know win-every-game-you-can Pacers fan might acknowledge what you were saying earlier. But the, the coaches and the players, I mean, they're here to win. And I know being on the road, it's a lot different feeling on that bus and in that airplane and at shoot-arounds and practices when you get a win. And they've not been able to experience that for a couple of months, and it wasn't through lack of effort. So I do feel good that they were able to have that win in Orlando and then follow that up with a game that no one expected you to win. Those are the best kind the wins that no one thinks you can win, and to get that in Dallas, we're headed to practice here in San Antonio shortly. I'm guessing that um, there's going to be a really good vibe around the team. And so there are all the teams that are maybe 10th through 15th in their respective conferences. They're kind of close, so I think it will all work itself out. Accordingly, and you'll just have to see what happens, and maybe you hope the basketball gods shine on you at some point because the Patriots, I think they could be due for a little bit of luck in that area.
2: you getting any shots up on the road at all, jeremiah
4: um every once in a while, you know sometimes we get to the gym before the players do, and there's a a, a rack of basketball sitting right there, and it's March now, and so I can't help but get the juices flowing a little bit. I put up some shots in the practice court in Dallas uh, the other day, but I do know that I haven't run up and down in in a full court setting for a while. And I'm not sure that I'm prepared to do that yet. I'll stick to, I'll stick to the treadmill for my cardio.
2: Yeah. Protect the Achilles. Just, uh, get up the shots. Don't be running up and down the floor. Yeah. What's a Hoosier, always a Hoosier. There you You go. Knock down those shots. There you go. Good stuff. Thanks, Jeremiah. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's Jeremiah Johnson, uh, Valley Sports, Indiana. Pacers, a 124-122 winner over Dallas uh, last night. Pacers have now won three of the last four. I mentioned a little bit earlier, saw some high school sectional action last night. I was at uh, Carmel for the uh, Carmel-Westfield game and the Fishers-Hamilton Southeastern uh, doubleheader. And our next guest, Kyle and Rip from the Indianapolis Star is on with us. And I think you were at Carmel last night, too, weren't you?
0: Yeah, I was Vince. I was the same. Uh, glad to hear you were there too. It was a good, good uh, couple of games last night.
2: I I thought the uh, Carmel and Westfield. I think they both had the same record going in, but I I felt like it was still an upset that Carmel lost that game. How did you see it?
0: No, I felt the same way, especially after the uh, first three quarters. Uh, It felt, and I covered the the regular season game between those two probably about uh, five weeks ago, and uh, it was kind of going the same way. Westfield was having a hard time scoring around the basket, and, you know, going into the fourth quarter, I kind of felt like uh, Carmel was in pretty good control. But, uh, you know, the first minute or so of the fourth quarter, it kind of completely changed, and Alex Romack uh, had a great uh, fourth, and, and, uh, you know, and then a couple, you know, big shots by Trey Buchanan, or one big shot by him, and then two from Seth Laravia, who I got a kick out of talking to him after the game. Uh, his brother Jake, of course, was uh, drafted into the NBA last year, played at Lawrence Central, and and uh, you know, Seth, I asked him about that shot. I was like, man, did it feel good coming off your hand? He's like, no, I thought it was an air ball. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, you know, you know, teenage kids, you know, it's always fun, you know, to. Uh, you never know what they're going to say, but uh, I, I laughed at that. And then I, he told me Jake had texted him right after the game. and It was, it was cool to – see him have that moment and, uh, hit that game winner. And then, you know, for Carmel, I felt, you know, it really Sam Warren being in foul trouble, you know, was really a, a, a negative throughout that game. You, know, you got two early and then, you know, played with two the rest of the first half and then got his third in the second half. And then of course fouled out there late, but just felt like he was always in foul trouble, you know, pretty much the whole way through. And I know that kind of changed some things too, with how that, uh, You know how that fourth quarter was played, somewhat, but uh, but yeah, really good game, I thought.
2: And then in the second game, Fishers beat Hamilton Southeastern pretty handily. Um, Fisher's sophomore Jalen Harrelson, what did he finish thirty three last night? Thirty three, yeah, thirty
0: three. I think, uh, yeah, I don't have the, I think seven rebounds or something like that. But but yeah, I mean, really, the first half he carried them. You know, he he was uh, outstanding. Yeah, at Uh, one point,
2: I think he had seven, like seventeen of their twenty. I mean, he, he was, did. yeah,
0: at, at, and I think at halftime he had twenty-one of their twenty-four. So, uh, but you know, that's a very young team. You know, they—they, they, I think, uh, you know, and after the game, you know, he and Garrett Weiniger, the the Fisher's coach, said, you know, hey, most of these guys are playing their first first sectional game you know so other than Jalen who played last year and you know he was a freshman last year on a team that was was senior dominated but you know it's it's interesting you know he had such a big game scoring wise but you know he's more of a more of a passer, I would say, or and I wouldn't say more, of, but equally good passer uh, as he is a scorer, and I think you saw some of that last night when uh, Tayden Metzger kind of got hot from three, and he just kept, you know, kept finding him, and and you know he's he's definitely not. Uh, uh, a, a black hole for uh, scoring necessarily. He will get the ball where it needs to go, and and just a really, really all-round player at his age. He's he not even—he'll turn 16 next month, so it's hard to believe. Uh, you know where he can go, uh, where he's already at. You know he's just such a smooth uh, player, and yeah, it's a tough. You know they had a tough draw, having to play their rival, their district rival, and you know just played a really good second half. So yeah, that's a team that you know I. You know they could, uh, as young as they are and inexperienced as they are, they're they're very good, it's a very dangerous team. I think uh, going into to Friday's game against Zionsville.
3: Who do you have your eye on the most heading into the semifinals on Friday, Kyle?
0: Well, I you know it's it's there's going to be a lot of you know Friday is a night where you'd like to be just about everywhere, and mm-hmm. there's still some things to be decided tonight. You know we've got uh, I'll be down at uh, Perry Meridian where you know Ben Davis is playing Southport and and Ben Davis of course undefeated and they've been the team to beat you know pretty much from the get go when they beat Cathedral early in the year and have just kept rolling you know Don Carlisle's done a, a great job kind of keeping that team you know at a you know it, at its peak pretty much throughout the season but you know Southport's a team I think that can you know match up somewhat with them and and they took them to overtime very early in the season and lost by 11 in the, in the County, uh, semifinals. So, you know, there's no way I'd pick against Ben Davis, but I think this is a Southport team on a, on a given night, you know, and tonight could be, you know, it could, honestly, I have no idea what to expect. It could be close. It could be uh, a blowout. Uh, you know, you just don't know, but I think Southport's got the, the ability to make that a, an interesting game, but, you know, so I think we'll find out more, you know, and then tonight of course in sectional 10 as well over at, uh, at Warren Central. He had a buzzer beater last night with Warren winning, but, you know, tonight you've got Lawrence North and North Central, the two old rivals going at it. That should be a very good game. That was a one-point game uh, in the regular season, and then Addicts and Tech uh, playing tonight. You would think Addicts, you know, they won the city, and, you know, I would think they would win that game, and uh, that either way, that would set up a really good semifinal. You already have Warren against Cathedral on one side of the bracket there, so that's definitely a game, you know, I think when you look at Warren and Cathedral, that I covered that game in December, and Warren probably should have won that game. They let it get away in the last minute. They were up by five and, and kind of got away from them. Cathedral ended up coming back and winning that game, and, uh, you know, but I think that's that should be a similar type of game, I would think, uh, Friday, and Warren playing at home, I would think that would help them as well, but but yeah, you got still some some things to shake out tonight, and then we'll know for sure. I get definitely got my eye on the uh, Muncie Central. Uh, Situation too up there in uh, Sectional Nine, where you have New Pile and Pendleton Heights was a kind of a surprise winner over Richmond. And you know tonight we'll find out uh, the other two teams to advance out of there. You you could have Greenfield Central. You know they're playing Anderson. That's going to be an excellent game tonight. And then uh, Mount Vernon and Muncie Central should be too a pretty good doubleheader up there.
2: Let's circle back to Ben Davis for a moment. Undefeated, and uh, I think most people would consider to be the favorite to win the championship. Even you know despite the, the you know the undefeated record. You're not just shooing them in, but still from a talent perspective, what is it going to take to beat Ben Davis?
0: You have to have a big. You have to, and this is why I kind of think Southport is is somewhat of a good matchup for them. If you don't have a big, uh, you know, and I'm talking you know, six, eight, six, nine to go against the Zane Doughty uh, in the middle there, then you probably don't have much of a chance because he he's going to dominate the rebounds. Uh, he, he'll clean up everything in there. You know, I would, you know, I'm not denigrating, you know, Lawrence North has a really good team. They don't match up very well uh, with, uh, with a team like Ben Davis, because they just don't have that size in the middle. Southport does, you know, Nickens Lumba. Uh, he, he. Can somewhat uh, negate Doughty somewhat. Um, you know, he didn't as much in the second time they played him, but he he's at least a big body to go in there against him. And then the guard play uh, Southport has with A.J. Dansler and uh, Keon Miller, uh, both those guys can shoot, both those guys can handle the ball. Uh, so that, that pressure defense of Ben Davis, you know, they can turn people over uh, quickly and very good defensive team. Uh, they can get after your full court or half court. Uh, So you have to be able to handle the ball and you have to be able to make uh, some outside shots. And then, you know, they also have a a pretty uh, athletic, physical wing player in uh, Pinkston. So you've got that, you know, as well. So, you know, Southport's not they're not deep uh, necessarily, but they do their starting lineup is it does match up uh relatively well with Ben Davis but you know, I I would say it kind of starts with having a, a big who can who can match up inside and then you know you're going to have to make some outside shots you're going to have to handle the ball that sounds like everything <laughs> you have to do in basketball uh but they just they don't have any weaknesses yeah. you know it's it's uh now in a in a 32 minute high school game you know they could have an off night or whatever but I'm not saying they can't be beat by any means but but uh, they don't have any weaknesses you know and that, and, and that's uh that's why they're 26 and 0 so you know it's 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 hard to beat them you know but i think there are some teams out there that you know can give them a, a pretty good run and and potentially you know who knows what could happen in the fourth quarter of a, of a game that's i've had a lot of people ask me all year or tell me you know no one's beaten them it's like well i've seen crazier things happen you know and i i know uh don has been telling his team that all year and Very confident in his team, but also you just you know it's 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 hard to go undefeated. That's why hardly anybody ever does it.
3: You know, Kyle, uh, I'm just thinking about college basketball and how I'm tearing my hair out if there's a team that's up by three in the final seconds and they don't foul. We saw a couple of those instances recently. Wisconsin didn't foul Michigan. Uh, Michigan State did not foul Iowa. I'm just curious on the high school level. What tends to be the strategy if a team is on the defensive end and up by three in the final seconds? Do they tend to foul, or do they just play it out?
0: That's a great question. Actually, this came up last night. I was actually going to write a little something uh, for the my Friday column, you know, about a little bit about that, because Westfield was in that situation last night uh, against Carmel, and I think Carmel had called timeout. Oh, gosh, eight, it's maybe nine seconds left, down by three, and, uh, you know, Westfield had the opportunity uh, they did use one foul and then you know that was their that was their gimme foul that, to get him to get Carmel to the bonus uh, Carmel ended up getting a shot um, and, and I talked to Shane Sumter the uh, Westfield coach after the game and he said you know we thought about fouling but we just it was something that you know they felt like they didn't, hadn't practiced enough he said he kind of left it up to his guys if it gets to a certain point um, you know to take to take the foul if it got down close enough and they weren't in position to also get the shot off, you know, and then get three shots because that's the nightmare situation. Right. So, uh, you know, but they ended up not fouling the, the, they, they guarded the shot pretty well from the corner, I thought. And then, you know, they were able to live with that, but I have, I've, I've seen it go both ways. I I would say more often than not, teams don't foul. And I think it's out of that fear of like, man, we're going to either do it too early or, you know, end up giving up a foul on the shot, and uh, you know it's just it's kind of a roll of the dice. You know, I don't, and like Shane said, that you know you're practicing so many things, you don't necessarily practice that situation probably often enough to feel comfortable doing it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I've seen it, I've I have seen it happen for sure, but not. It seems like more often than not, teams kind of play it out to the end, and that's what we saw last night in that Carmel Westfield game
2: chatting with Kyle Nenrip who uh, covers uh, high school sports for the Indianapolis Star and certainly uh, if you love the high school athletic scene you want to read Kyle's work that's for sure the voice of uh, what's happening in our our state from a high school perspective. I was at the game last night with my friend Dave Argebright and we were talking about uh, the shot clock. Does high school basketball need a shot clock Kyle?
0: Uh, it depends who you talk to. I, I I would say, and I actually, you know, we did a little something on uh, anonymously asking coaches what they thought. and I, It was almost split I, right down the middle, uh, 50-50 with, with both sides. Uh, and then you had some that were, you know, kind of, uh, you know, situational they would like it or, you know, they're kind of split on it too. But it was almost directly 50-50. Um, I, I would lean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it for uh, – you know, fourth quarter situations, you know, teams up by and now you can't just implement it for that only, but I I'm just saying I would like to see it for that reason, you know, teams up by eight or ten, uh that kind of put it in the deep freeze and, and, you know, in that situation it would kinda of nice to be to have a shot clock, uh, you know, even a forty five second clock. Um, but I just, you know, part of me too, I just, I don't cover that many games where a shot clock's necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I really don't, um, maybe some other areas of the state do. Um, but I, I just, there's not very many games I cover where it's like, man, a shot clock would really change. I I can't say that that happens. I do see, you know, I cover, man, you know, probably 70 to 75 games a year. And, uh, you know, I hear people say, you know, anytime a a low score crosses and, and you're like, Bash, we need a shot clock. And I'm not talking four to two necessarily, but like, you know, 40 something to 40 something, or, you know, a game that's low scoring. And even then, you know, when I cover those type of games, I, it's not necessarily a shot clock. It's just, you know, either a really good defensive team or maybe a team that's a little bit more methodical, um, that, that, uh, they may only take a shot every 30, 35 seconds, but that's a longer time frame than I think people realize, especially in a thirty two minute game. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you necessarily know that just by looking at a score how the game is dictated, but I wouldn't mind. You know, I, I'm kind of one of those who's kind of I wouldn't mind seeing it. I, I don't know that it's necessary though. I just I really don't see it happen that often uh, where a team just puts it in the deep freeze. And if they do, you know, to me it's like. You know, the one thing I do like about a shot clock is it rewards good defense. You know, if you're guarding for 35, 45 seconds, you you get you should be rewarded, in my opinion. But, you know, you also, you know, if you're allowing a team just to stand there and hold the ball, you know, you, you should go do something about it. Normally, it's a team holding it that's, Probably the lesser team, so uh you would think you'd be able to get out and pressure them and kind of force them out of that situation and I do see that time to time where you know you'll see a team try to hold it and, and can't you know and that's usually in what ends up happening
2: one last thing before for me before we let you go, Kyle, if I've got one game to see and I've got to see one player uh around the state of Indiana, he's the one guy I've got to see if I've only got one game who am I going to see
0: Marcus Burton I would say uh from penn and and uh he is probably the front runner for Mr. Basketball and i you know if not the front runner certainly one of them but he is uh you know, just he's had a great season uh, a lot of fun to watch um you know i know people around here maybe have not seen him that much in person if at all but uh and i'm not saying he's he's like this player i'm about to mention but his his attributes are somewhat similar i think to like an Allen Iverson in in the fact that he can make moves in small spaces and, you know, was quick off the ground. And again, I'm not saying he is him, but he's kind of, when I watch him play, he sort of reminds me of that sort of uh, type of game. Uh, But, but he just, he's, he's a very good player. He's super efficient. Too, and uh, they haven't played. You know, they played in the Hall of Fame Classic and lost to Ben Davis. And then you know they've had uh, some. You know, they beat Zionsville in a really good game at Southport. Uh, that they came back and he went off in that game. Uh, had a really really good game and I think opened a lot of people's eyes there. But but he'll be one I think uh, as they get through the tournament uh, that will be you know fun to watch you know for people and especially those who haven't seen him play yet. Uh, and they they should be able to get out of that sectional they play uh, in Elkhart. Uh, Friday night against uh, Goshen, and you know they should be able to get through that one, and then probably win the sectional. But, uh, uh, but yeah, he's he's definitely one, especially for people who are around here who haven't seen uh, Penn play
2: or seen him play yet. Mm, good stuff. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate your insight as always. Well done.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys.
2: Yep, that's Kyle Neddenrip. You read his work in the Indianapolis Star covering the high school game, and uh, certainly. Uh, he gets around the state. What do you say? Like seventy-five, eighty games a year he sees. That's a lot of. That's a lot of ball. All right.
3: I want to welcome in Jess Settles from Big Ten Network, joining us here on the fan. You know, Jess, it's funny, man. I always am interested to see what pops up first if you Google someone, and I had to share this with you. I wanted to see what you thought of it. So on the right side, if you Google Jess Settles, it just said, "I'm going to read a little bit to you." Jess Settles was a star for Winfield Mount Union in tiny Winfield, Iowa. I'm not sure how you feel about that. And then also a true corn-fed product. So what do you think about tiny Winfield, Iowa and a true corn-fed product? That
5: that just sums me up perfectly, fellas. (laughs) I love it.
3: (laughs) Uh... I like that you signed off on that. That's great, man. Now, I know you signed off on Iowa's... Great performance last night. Not much to sign off on when it comes to the Hoosiers. What did you make of IU just laying an egg last night?
5: Look, man, I, I, I'm assuming the entire state is melting down right now after you know just a dreadful performance, right? I mean, they owned it after the game. It, I, I went back late last night and watched the first two and a half to three minutes and... Just defensively, right from the opening tip, I mean, you don't want to be too harsh, but just clueless on how to defend Iowa and to allow Murray to just stand out there and get off to such a hot start. It did not improve for the rest of the game. Could not handle the ball screens, the spacing, the backdoor cuts. Really, it felt like, and and you know, you feel this sometimes when a team gets off to a big big lead, you feel like the other team might come back. But it felt like in that game early that Iowa was going to win in a blowout and they ended up doing that. I think they were 1.621 points per possession at halftime and ended up around one and a half. That just doesn't get it done. And the, the, the most concerning thing is just these big holes that Indiana gets themselves in. Now I, I they come back and win some of these because they've got a talented team and, and most nights they play really hard, but I, I think they've lost seven or eight games by double digits. So, That's just really tough to overcome those type
2: of deficits. Well, and Indiana didn't get the offensive performance last night either. I mean, you, you talk about the defensive breakdowns and and uh, there's some coaches out there that are using Tony Perkins as uh, you know as an example of of how you work off the ball because he was terrific last night. So, uh, defensively IU had many breakdowns, but they didn't perform offensively either. And I think that's a big concern for Indiana because when they don't shoot the 3, it makes them so vulnerable in other areas offensively as well
5: yeah what were they i think they were two for 11 yeah. from beyond the arc which doesn't get it done and then in the second half i believe miller cop and trey galloway combined to go oh for one from three so yeah even when you're not hitting them you know but you got to find a way to get those two guys some more shots i mean those guys when you're down that big you would assume those guys would take eight to ten between them, whether you're running staggers or pin downs, but they they weren't a factor. So I'm I'm still as an analyst, I'm much more worried defensively because I I just hate to see such a good team get in those type of holes. But but you're right, offensively uh, very lethargic as well. And then you know coming off such a massive sweep of Purdue, I mean they needed that. Uh, TJD needed that for his legacy. And it seemed like on television the crowd was just lit. I mean, the energy coming off the screen was unbelievable. And to come out and just have – I mean, it was more than effort. Just to not understand how to defend Iowa, um, it's very, very troubling.
2: As a, the great Big Ten player that you were, take us inside the brain a little bit and and what it's like to come off a win like Indiana had against Purdue – and then to come back, and even though it's at home and they're all conference games and they're big, the challenge of still playing with the same kind of edge they'd played the week before against the rival. The challenge of that.
5: Yeah, I'm sure that these guys were getting patted on the back and, and hit up on social media like never before, because, I mean, obviously Hoosier fans were sick of having to deal with getting beat down by Purdue for so many games like they have been. So, you know, you get the the wonderful win at home. And Purdue's got an outstanding team to close that out. And, and then for Hood Shiffino to do, you know, to go Calvert-Chaney and Steve Albert, Isaiah Thomas, and, and to have one of those legendary performances, I'm sure those guys were getting, you know, a lot of clippings. But they, they got an experience. There are a lot of veterans on that team. And you got guys who have been through the battle. They understand the, the suffering and – and, and not being consistently in the tournament, they understand that. So I, I can't imagine having a letdown. I, I think it's more of a, of a film session. They're, they're going to have to watch that film and just try to figure out. Look, th- this is just not. This was not what the plan was, or the plan wasn't right, and we didn't execute it. I think it's more about that than just being uh, overhyped for it. On, on the other hand, as a former player and as a former coach, whenever something like this happens. You got to go reevaluate what you were doing the two days before. Were you locked in on the scouting report? Did you study the way you were supposed to study? Did you make every class on t- all those things? I mean, you know, everything's on the table. Even if you're grasping at straws, you got to reevaluate. Was I ready individually, collectively, to go uh, for a team that's just really hard to guard?
3: He's Jess Settles from Big Ten Network here on the Fan. You know, we know Jess that Iowa on the road has been inconsistent offensively. So when you're thinking about last night and you spin it forward, when you start thinking about the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament, does last night say more about Iowa that they scored 90 points or does it say more about Indiana that they gave up 90 points? Wow. that is You guys, these are deep thoughts with Ryan and Ben. <laughs> yeah. uh, a, We've got I the
2: incense going. I mean, yeah. it's, the yeah. l- lights are down. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
5: I need I need a little therapeutic music in the background. Um, look, I I think it says more about Indiana. I mean, man, do you trust Indiana in the tournament after watching that performance? I, it's it's hard. Iowa is going to shoot thirty threes. Iowa has a ton of three point shooters. That's what they do now. Like every three point shooting team, they're not a live and die three point shoot shooting team like Penn State. But as Indiana fans know, when when, it, when a Penn State is hitting threes, I think they hit 17 against you guys. Like it's it's almost impossible to stop a team when they're going to hit close to 15 threes. But there there have been streaks where Iowa they're just as open and they miss them. So you, that that's just kind of what they do. Now they're going to get some paint touches with Rabraca and when Perkins is playing well, they're really good. But it's more about just the mentality of Indiana's defense and like you guys said, their offense high. That's just not an acceptable performance, and they've had too many of those to to go with along with all of their wonderful wins as well. They have a phenomenal team. They've got a lottery pick freshman. They've got a probably you know another NBA player. They got a player of the year candidate. So they've got a lot to work with, but I, I can't. You can't really trust them right now, but. Purdue's the best team in the league, and and everybody else, what, the next 10 are just the same. There won't be what we call upsets at the Big Ten tournament unless Purdue goes down in the first round. Everybody else is about the same. It's going to be a toss-up.
3: When you uh, look forward to the big dance, what would you say the ceiling is for Indiana and also what the ceiling is for Iowa?
5: I, I think if they're playing well... They can play into the second weekend. I, I think that's probably their ceiling. Trace Jackson, Dave. When, when these guys get out of conference play, and they get away from those scout reports and those matchups and that grind, they they're all. There's going to be a big sigh of relief. Now, you guys have probably talked about this many times, and we've talked about it over the years. The the big man, the Zach Edes, the Kofi Coburns, the Luca Garzas, the, uh, the the Travion. That has not translated to success in March. Okay, so Iowa this year does not have that. They're kind of they're a five out, four out, one in. Um, Could could that help them when they go up against faster, quicker, smaller teams? Trace Jackson Davis is unique in that uh, you know when he sets those ball screens, he can get the lane opened up, roll to the rim. He's tough to stop, and if you're not used to playing against him, that should be a problem for teams. So I'm. I think I'm a little more bullish on those two teams this year than I have been in the past. Um, but let's be real. When that bracket comes out, going to be a lot of people afraid to pick Big Ten teams with, with true centers because of the struggles over the last couple. Where do you guys think about that? I mean, are you – Are you second weekend with these guys, or it's obviously matchups, or are you gun-shy like the rest of us?
2: Well, I think with Indiana, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, you're going to get what you're going to get from him, just about it. I mean, the 26-13-5 that he had last night, I think you can just about pencil that in nearly every night. Obviously, it wasn't the case at at Purdue, um, you know, when he finished with just 10 points, but that was the exception rather than the rule. I think with Indiana, uh, more of the question, are those around him? You know, can somebody else make shots? Can they, you know, can, you know, uh, Jalen Hood, Shafino scoring 35, that's not going to happen on a regular basis. They have to have some other players that have a positive impact on the game other than Trace Jackson Davis. That's going to determine, in my mind, how far Indiana goes, is how the other players play.
5: Yeah, that's well said. And I agree with that. I mean, guys like Miller cop, they've got they've got to step up their game. Race has to step up. Um, maybe this loss refocuses them at the defensive end and, uh, and, and, and you know, you just never know who's going to be able to knock down the threes. Now, you look at the beginning of that game and, and we're being critical of them defensively, but just on the first couple possessions of the game, they had two, Chifino had an open three, he, he missed, they get the offensive rebound, goes back out to Galloway, he misses a wide open three, you're right. Those are, you, don't, you can't give credit to Iowa's defense for those. Those are just players that have to step up and make shots. I, I like Indiana's team. They have some great wins. It's so nice to have them back it, You know, this time of year as a lock for the tournament. We're not worried down the stretch whether they're even going to be in. I think there are a lot of weak teams in the country. I don't think there's anybody out there that anybody's afraid of. So I, I, their matchups uh, could be favorable. Trace Jackson Davis has to dunk on people, destroy people, get up and down and run the court. But uh, but, man, they've had some some just puzzling losses uh, and big holes that uh, this team just doesn't seem like they can overcome.
2: Yeah, win-loss, 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 their last six. Hey, yeah, um, yeah. Trey Jackson Davis with his 13 rebounds last night became the all-time leading rebounder in Indiana uh, University history, passing Allen Henderson. Uh, you played against Henderson. Weren't you in, at Iowa when he was uh, at Indiana?
5: I was there seven or eight years, man. I mean, yeah. you, you, you played with a lot of guys. Legend. Yeah. 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 I played against everybody. who's yeah. in the <laughs> Alan Henderson, uh, Alan Henderson was an amazing player and even better person. I mean, he was one of those guys that, you know, back in the nineties when you were clotheslining and tripping guys, biting guys, you had enforcers. He was one of those guys that you like, you couldn't take a shot at because you just had so much respect at him. He would, you know, You'd be walking off the court after after a win or loss you put his arm around your shoulder and be like hey man Jess, you're a great player way to battle. I mean he was one of those guys and he chilled us a few times and and I I right now can visualize him tip dunking on us at assembly under the banners. He he's a phenomenal player. Obviously the game is different, the rules are different. Guys stay longer. The some most of the elite players leave earlier. So but anytime you can climb the the ladder at indiana with all of those legends it's something special i know and alan henderson would be very proud of him i haven't talked to him in years but uh yeah that's quite an accomplishment and i do think for trace's legacy i think he had to beat purdue um i I was worried about it uh, a couple months ago like where where is this all going to go are they going to make the tournament x is injured trace his back is blown out race is injured is he going to be there so i'm so happy for him that they were able to get those wins and and that he can continue to climb the ladder. He's had a phenomenal career.
3: He's Jess Settles, Big Ten Network. Before you go, Jess, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this where there are a couple of Indiana players seen like smiling, kind of laughing on the bench at the end uh, when it's a blowout. Some fans around here didn't like it. As a former player, what's your reaction when fans say, what are you laughing about while you're getting blown out?
5: I did not see it. I can't comment on it that much, but I would not look too much into that. It's just maybe the camera catches them at the wrong time. Everybody's obviously frustrated. You get blown out. Um, I, I don't know if that necessarily has anything to do with winning or losing, but it's Indiana. No one gets scrutinized more. When you go to Indiana, that's a heavier uniform to wear than any other, I would say, in the country. You might throw Duke and Carolina into that, maybe Michigan State, but you know what you're signing up for. I probably would be more cognizant of that and probably wouldn't be myself laughing at the end of the game, but I don't know the details. That's just me from the cheap seats run, you know, giving an opinion
2: on it. Hey, before we let you go, um, take, take you back to the uh, Iowa win over Michigan State when Fran McCaffrey stared down the <laughs> official. Uh, what's your take on that? Uh, should... Should there be penalty associated with that? Uh, you know, what's what's everybody's impression about uh, from an Iowa standpoint of what happened there, and, and yours as a broadcaster?
5: So I, I think somebody put on Twitter today that Iowa has scored like 146 points since the uh, Fran stare down <laughs> with Kelly Piper. So everybody's like, hey, stare stare them down more, right? I mean, on on, on the selfish, side. I look. I mean, you know, we grew up in the the Bob Knight, Gene Katie. Uh, era where where uh, a Val- you know Bob Knight walks right at Teddy wrote right his Valentine I think yeah. and walked around I mean we, we grew up in that season on the brink era and the the scowling and the yell that all the entertainment so it's not something that Big Ten fans aren't used to I guess it comes down to what's the rule and are you going to enforce that or not so if you interpret that as unsportsmanlike or aggressive behavior to the official then. Then you know they obviously missed an opportunity to put the double T on them. If they're not going to do it, you know, Tom Izzo, Brad Underwood, Fran, McCa- they're going to they're going to push the limits every single time. And if you let them do it, they're going to keep doing it. So to me, that's more of a an officiating, enforcing the rule type of thing. And if you chose not to do it, then 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 nothing's ever going to change
2: with
3: that. Yeah, it opened the door. I think. Yeah. Hey, Jess. Good stuff, man. Appreciate you popping on today. Have a good one. We'll catch you soon.
1: All right,
3: fellas. See you, buddy. There he is, just settles. Big Ten Network. Man, that guy could ball.